Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Xi. I'm currently a sophomore at UCLA, was elected as the youngest delegate for Joe Biden, and also co-hosts this podcast. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks, the author of The Watergate Girl, based on my experiences as the only woman on the trial team for the Watergate prosecution. Today, we have a very special guest, Stephanie Miller. She is, of course, the reason for the amazing Steph Heads, and I'm proud to say that she is my friend. Stephanie is the host of the eponymous Stephanie Miller Radio Show, the number one progressive talk radio morning show in America. It combines humor and snappy political wit with progressive news and really smart political commentary. She is also the person who did two fantastic things for me. She pushed me outside my comfort zone when she had me and Representative Jan Schakowsky doing comedy as part of her sexy liberal blue wave tour. And she gave me the beautiful Jill's pin that I'm wearing today. It signifies the blue wave that I, Victor, and I hope all of our listeners want. But more importantly, it was her 96-year-old mother's. And for those who don't know, that makes it super special because Stephanie's father was a Republican Um, And he was a representative from New York and was Barry Goldwater's running mate in 1964, which means that I'm wearing a Republican pin, um, but her mother now supports both Stephanie and indirectly me. We know you're going to enjoy this episode. We are going to begin by talking about Stephanie's early life in politics, her career in comedy, and what it's like to be the host of a radio show with over 6 million listeners, as well as her thoughts on radio versus television and right-wing radio, as well as about how to talk to Trumpers. Thank you, Stephanie, for joining us. So, Stephanie, you live a fascinating life. Anyone who listens to you each morning or follows you on Twitter knows that you are very in tune about the issues of the day. I suspect that part of your passion for politics has something to do with your father, William Miller, who was a member of the House of Representatives, and then when you were a toddler, he was Barry Goldwater's running mate, which means he was, unlike you now, a conservative Republican. But did conversations with him inspire your political interests? Oh, God, no. Uh, we used to, here's a fun fact for you, Jill. <laughs> we used to get a, a Christmas yeah. card from Richard Nixon every year. And I just assumed, oh, good for you. I just assumed everyone did. <laughs> Um, he never sent me one, Stephanie. That's so uh, that's so weird, Jill. I would think you'd be at the top of his list. Um, right. No, let me tell you um, currently about my uh, glamorous life. I have uh, upstairs some dead rats, which is what's been going on. I think it's my fault for calling the current Republican Party a big bag of rats every morning on the show. I have a big bag of rats. Bite, bite. You're all equally awful. And now I actually have a rat-pocalypse going on in my house. But that's not important now. <laughs> what's important is what's happened oh. to this Republican Party, right? Yeah. Since my dad's day. Yes. And Yes. And well, speaking did of you rat- start out as a Republican? Oh, God. Uh, well, I mean, yes. I didn't, you know, I was just a dumb USC kid. What did I know, right, Victor? <laughs> you go to UCLA. You know from dumb USC kids. What the hell did I know? University of Spoiled Children? I don't know. I voted for Reagan. My daddy was a Republican. I thought I was a Republican. Um, And, uh, yeah, all my liberal friends, Jill, blame me to this day for voting for Reagan. I'm like, I'm not the only one, and I was only 21. (laughs) We forgive you. We forgive you. You've made up for it. You definitely have. Well, anyway, but I I don't think I was – 
you know, as attuned to politics. I, I always say that, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be Carol Burnett and then all my dreams died and I ended up in radio. Um, <laughs> but, oh, no. but, you know, uh, you, Carol Burnett went to UCLA, oh, Victor. Wow. I'm sure you know. Yes, yes. Um, but, uh, you know, I did not get political. I always say, Jill, that it maybe became around the time of that really mean Pat Buchanan speech at the Republican convention that was so yes. sort of exclusionary and you know i'm not even sure i was aware i was gay then but it just seems so mean-spirited and exclusionary that i think i it's been gradual my politics to to you know who i am today but i lost my dad when i was 21 i had just graduated from usc so i didn't it's not like we had political conversations i didn't I, there wasn't any sort of uh I, I, I so my God, I so wish in the years since then I've been able to talk to him, certainly about yeah. his his uh, Nuremberg prosecutor days, because uh, we people with Nazi flags in the streets calling themselves fascists. I, I just can't imagine what my dad would think. I, it's It's amazing because Goldwater, who to me was the epitome of just off the end of the world conservative. Yeah. Now looks really good to me. Yeah, but um, well, even, let, let's look at some of your early. But even I was going to say, years, Jill, think, look at that connection, and this is why we fell in love. And you know, I don't mean that in yeah. a gay way. <laughs> Although, <laughs> can I take a moment to say that your rack looks spectacular in that Steph head T-shirt? <laughs> the, the official Chicago oh, Steph. Oh, excellent! <laughs> and exactly. you're wearing my mom's exactly. pin. I gave you my mom's pin I, for the blue wave. I am. Exactly. We're going to talk about that later. And, um, but, uh, but let's start with, well, anyway, I think I, Victor wanted to ask you yeah, about I, how you started out. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, as a comedian. I, I was just going to say, I was going back quickly to how we fell in love is that it is a weird <laughs> thing that there's one degree of separation that it was Goldwater, my dad's running mate yeah. that went to Nixon and said, it's time to go. And so you and I yeah. have had a lot of discussions about that Republican party in this one and how, yeah. you know, Trump wouldn't have gotten away with this if he didn't have Fox News and this version of the Republican Party. That is so true. Yeah. So, so true. It's, And you've come a long way since then, too. Um, <laughs> I mean, since your father was... You were three years old when he ran for vice president? I always say, Jill, I was only three. <laughs> I, they can't blame me. Yeah. I hadn't said anything yet. <laughs> well, well, ahead, yeah, Victor, let's talk about the... Early parts of your life, you were a comedian first performing um, a sketch at your high school called uh, "Tom Between Two Lovers." You said that performance oh, torn. Oh, torn between torn between, torn. Two torn between two lovers. Look how <laughs> oh how cute and little are you? You don't even know that song. It was a song called "Torn Between Two Lovers." Well, well, I mean, so so talk about that first time and how you approached comedy in high school. Well, as I said, I wanted to be Carol Burnett. I wanted to be a comedian, and that's why I went to USC. I got a degree in, in uh, the drama, in the theater. Um, but, uh, yes, that particular torn between two lovers, my mom sewed, like, ten dresses up the front and down the back, sewed them back, we tore them, and then sewed them back together again. So every time there was a chorus, the boys came out from both sides of the stage and pulled my dress, and it pulled the dress off. So that... And I always say uh, that's the last time I ever wore a dress or that a man ever tried to rip one off me. But anyway, that's <laughs> that's a gay joke, Victor. But my my point is, God bless my right-wing mom. She was always my, my biggest fan and costume designer. 
Well, so, I mean, after graduating from high school, like you said, you went to USC, which is uh, the school that, I guess, goes unnamed at UCLA. How did your time there shape your interest? Oh, listen, mister, <laughs> when you wrote to me, I said, I, you're an, you are dead to me. You're an enemy to me. But then you, you said the magic words, Jill one yes. day. So I was like, all right, yes, yes. That is what saves me. Right, well, That's like saying abracadabra. Jill Weinbanks. <laughs> Exactly, yes. exactly. <laughs> so how, what did your time at USC, or I guess, how did your time at USC shape what you wanted to do after? Well, you know, as I said, radio was a complete, I always say radio was a complete accident until they, mm-hmm. they started paying me a lot of money and then it wasn't an accident anymore. Um, but I, uh, no, it just was, my dad had passed away suddenly right when I graduated from USC. And so I went back to Buffalo um, and I started just doing bits on a, radio show there and that's how my radio career started sort of by accident and then I went to Rochester and then Chicago and New York City and Los Angeles um and I ended up you know again doing sort of I guess sketches or as Carol Burnett said to me you're the Carol Burnett of radio to which I cried for a solid hour (laughs) her uh her da- That's like a dream come true I know. Her, to have your idol do that. Well, her, yeah. her daughter, her daughter Jody Hamilton, is one of my regulars who is so smart and funny. And of course, she had Carol mm. call me as a surprise on my birthday, and I, I'm sure I cried through the entire thing. But, uh, but I said I said that to her. I wanted to be you when I was growing up. But then all my dreams died, and she said, "Oh, honey, you don't want to be the next Carol Burnett. You want to be the first Stephanie Miller." you're the you're the carol burnett of radio and so but i thought you know that is victor a thing you know for for you youngins out there is that you know sometimes your dreams don't turn out the exactly the way you thought sometimes they're different sometimes they're better in some ways but sometimes it's not what you envisioned i didn't go to school for radio that's not how i but then at some point you know jill one of my best friends said to me like everything you've done sort of came together, your comedy background and theater background and performance background came together with the politics that's in your blood. You know, I never thought of going into politics or being in political talk, but I think at some point that passion just started when I saw what became of my dad's party. And, you know, I just know what kind of man he was. And, you know, Jill, I was just saying today on the air, I I just cannot imagine what he would think of these Circus clowns like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene in the Congress. I mean, it is so beneath the dignity of that body. I mean, what, whether it's intellectually, just um, their, you know, all of it, racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, Islamophobia. It's just, um, you know, I, I keep saying that they're, I, I feel like they're terrorists. I know that sounds like hyperbole. But they're either actual terrorists from January 6th, they support the terrorists of January 6th, they're economic terrorists surrounding the debt limit, they're willing to blow up the full faith and credit of the United States. I feel like they're COVID terrorists. I mean, I can't, I've passed the point, I don't know about you guys, of knowing how to forgive the right wing and the anti-vaxxers that have kept this country in a pandemic and continue and have it continuing now for two years because they won't get vaccinated. Well, what's... What's scarier to me is than the leadership, which is scary enough, is how many voters believe them yeah. and are supporting them. That's terror. That is terrorizing to me. But um, yeah, we talked about uh, what water. What would have happened with Watergate? Nixon would have gotten away with it if there was Fox News and right wing radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they. Yeah. Ro- Donald Trump says this election was fraudulent, and what is it, Jill? Sixty-eight percent of Republicans believe that now, based on nothing. Based on nothing. Exactly. 
So it isn't the Republican Party of your father, that is for sure, or your mother, whose pin I proudly wear, uh, despite yeah. its Republican heritage. Okay. Um, Jill, uh, what, Al, yeah, here's, I, a, here's a question on the big lie. How bad a lawyer do you have to be to lose 60 lawsuits in a, in a row? <laughs> <laughs> Just out of curiosity. One, that, one who will get disbarred, that's what. Yeah. Uh, and, and fined and penalized for having brought f- frivolous lawsuits. Yeah, but, I'm um, happy that's starting to happen, right? That yeah, you can't it, go it in, is, a, in, a, it in a court of law and lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, you've performed all over the country, um, and, and you did some acting too, but let's, let's talk about your comedy stuff, and uh, I, I want to talk about the sexy liberal Blue Wave tour, which I was lucky enough to be a part of for one year during the pre-COVID era when they were in-person shows, um, and of course, my big admission is I was scared to death doing that because it was so far great. out of my comfort zone. Oh my God! Well, Victor, other than falling flat on my I, face. I do remember right. Jill she telling me trip. that. Yeah. <laughs> However, she got I mean, she got a standing ovation both for tripping and getting up, and also for being Jill Weinbeck's. <laughs> and for sitting on stage with a bloody knee from falling flat on my face. But okay, so that was my first entry into the comedy. <laughs> Uh, er- Victor, arena, let but, me just so, let me preempt her humility. She was great. She's funny. She was smart. People love her. She's done events with the Chicago Stepheads that um, they just yeah. cannot say enough about how lovely and yeah. down to earth and warm you are. They they can't believe it. They uh, literally like I can't believe Joe Weinbank showed up to this or that or well, well they're thing. they're a smart 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 group um, who follow you and adore you. Aww. And um, but so let's talk about some of your acting because. Because you appeared as a nun in a TV movie <laughs> called Shattered Vows and as a nurse on General Hospital. All right, hang on. Uh, Let's just break down this whole myth. I appeared as myself on General Hospital as a nurse, but it was like a radio promotion. Like we, I don't even remember. All I said, all I said was, I think my line was, Doctor, here's the file. That was it. That's that was the extent of my general hospital, and, and, and it was again. Oh, okay. like, I don't know. It was some like DJ stunt thing we did, and then oh, shattered vows. Uh, yes, I played a novice nun. However, I should correct you. I was an extra. I did not play a role. I was an extra, oh. and I it was. But were you in costume? Yes, uh, it was a very scratchy wool, uh, entire head to toe novice nun outfit and we were filming in the valley in 108 degree heat and my biggest claim to fame is valerie bertinelli was in that movie and back then victor you'll love this we had pay phones we didn't have cell phones then (laughs) it was in like 1983 world to me (laughs) and i let her cut in front of me at the payphone to talk to Eddie Van Halen, her husband. Is that a cool story? Wow. Whoa, that yes. is. And then that also, is. I, was, so, I was the novice nun cleaning the floor next to Patricia Neal, the amazing actress. And she was getting on a wow. little on in years then, and she kept forgetting lines, and I kept filling them in for her. I was, like, on the floor, like, cleaning up a, the floor, and I would whisper up to where her line, because I remembered it. Oh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That is an amazing story. So... I, I want to talk about those experiences because as a lawyer, um, many, many lawyers, particularly litigators, take uh, comedy training or acting training because they feel like that helps them as a lawyer. And um, 
you know, the Chicago Improv is is a big place that a lot of people go for training. Yeah. What skills did you learn that have helped you in radio and in, as a political commentator? Um, well, I guess, like I said, Joel, you know, like my best friend saying that sometimes, you know, like not by planning, but that all my kind of skills came together. But, yeah, my background yeah. is in theater training and improv. I was the youngest member of L.A. Connection here, which is kind of L.A.'s groundlings, you know, uh, that you have in uh, or excuse me, uh Second City that you have in Chicago. Second City, yeah. yeah. So I did uh, LA Connection. I actually did do Groundlings for a little while as well. Uh oh, did I hit something bad here? No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did you- do all of that. I mean, um, yeah. And I guess it played into because it's all still. I mean, I, obviously, I still consider my radio show a comedy show. I mean, I always say that that it's <laughs> more. You know, if you can make people laugh. They don't realize they're learning something. I think on either side yes. of the aisle, if you're just doing talking points, it's just boring. If you're preaching to the choir or you're just, uh, uh, I, I, I think that's, we seek to make entertaining radio first. I mean, I, I happen to have a strong liberal point of view, but more importantly, is this entertainment? I mean, Rush Limbaugh, as much as I couldn't stand anything he did or stood for, he was a really good broadcaster. You know, mm. he was an entertainer and that's why he had the huge following that, that he did. So so do you suggest uh, for Victor's generation trying acting class or theater classes, uh, comedy classes as part of stuff that would help them in almost any profession they enter into? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, Victor Jill's an example of someone that is A, a really good lawyer, and B, really good on TV. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani, follow along with me. Not a good lawyer, not good on TV. Have you ever seen Jill Weinbanks with shoe polish running down her face? No, you have not. She always looks exquisite. Hopefully it'll never happen. We have to hope. That's, I can't even imagine. But, um, I, but I, I think your lesson of life is really mm-hmm. important for Victor's generation because it is how all these disparate elements of your yeah. life came together into a new career. The same was certainly true for me. I started out in journalism, ended up in law, yeah. and now I'm in journalism. But all the skills I learned in journalism and in law school are essential to what I do now. And so, oh, and also, you know, everybody should realize, yeah. Author and, I'm sorry, a movie star yes. soon. <laughs> yeah, but, well, we'll see about that. But. Yeah, Victor, the difference is everything's worked out for Jill. For me, what I've found in my career is if God shuts a window somewhere, he shuts a door too, and I'm fucked. So that's <laughs> what I've found. <laughs> It seems to me you've done pretty well, I would say. <laughs> accidentally, accidentally. No, I actually, you know, it's funny. I actually do love what I do. I mean, I'm very passionate. I always say, like, I'm. how lucky is that? I get to get up and tell fart jokes with a couple of my best friends every morning, you know. And I get to talk to amazing people mm-hmm. like Jill. I mean, it's, um, yeah. you know, I think I have some of the smartest, funniest people in the country, you know, as, as my guests, my regulars and semi-regulars. And so I do love it. It, but like I say, Victor, it certainly is not what I planned for, what I thought my career would look like when you bring up acting. Let me just point out, I was really a bad actress. So (laughs) (laughs) my favorite is we had a, uh, Brooke Shields on, I can't remember when for a book or something she was doing. She's one of the nicest people in the world. And I was telling her I was up to play the Kathy Griffin role in Suddenly Susan, her sitcom, you know, her best yeah. her best friend. And I said, I'll never forget. My agent said, 
they really loved you, but they think you, you look too much like Brooke, like Brooke. And I was like, in what universe do I look like Brooke Shields? Because that's fantastic. <laughs> but, but and also Kathy Griffin is much better in that role than I would have been. <laughs> Kathy's one of our guests in the we, past. We I bet. Yes. She is terrific. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah, us too. I mean, she's a uh, boy. It's amazing, right? The comedians, right? Jill have become the. Yeah. First Amendment mm-hmm. warriors mm-hmm. in some ways that you're like, exactly. really? She hold up, held up a stupid Halloween mask with ketchup on it and yeah. it lost her entire career practically. Yeah. And, yeah. and you look at what these members of Congress yeah, do. Gosser, I don't right? know what the line is. Right. The what's actionable, but these aren't jokes. Yeah. The, the, you know, beheading yeah. AOC and, you know, putting targets on yeah. members of, of the squad. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't know what that line is, Jill, legally, but... Yeah. They sure well, seem like death threats to me. I'm afraid to have this Supreme Court make that line yeah. because, based and when you mentioned the First Amendment, we all have to worry about what's going to happen to the establishment of religion in yeah. America after the last yeah. argument this week in the Supreme Court, where it looks like they're going to say, "Yeah, the state has to fund religious schools," and yeah. that's the end of our First Amendment. But yeah. anyway, Victor. Take it, take it away, Victor. Well, she just went dark, didn't <laughs> yes. she, Victor? Well, we'll get into something lighter, which is yeah. when you first entered radio, you said somewhere that it was an accident until they started paying you a lot of money, and then it wasn't an accident right. anymore. You yes. went into radio in 1983. Tell us what your first radio position was and what you thought of it. Um, I'm, I'm a, yes, I'm a capitalist and a socialist. <laughs> it's quite a combination. Um, um, I did... Uh, bits or little skits, as my mom would call them, on um, on the Sandy Beach Hot 104 Morning Show in Buffalo, New York, everybody. And I would do um, really kind of, uh, uh, I'm sure they're in the Smithsonian now, but I would do like uh, traffic, you know, Catherine Hepburn and the traffic copter and be like, it's going to be a long ride, ride, ride on the Skijakwana <laughs> this morning. I would do Linda Blair with the weather. It's going to be hot as hell this morning. <laughs> Just, you know, really Hall of Fame stuff. And uh, that's how I started. I started doing bits on the radio, and then I became, um, and then I became Jill Sister Sleaze on the Brother Wee's Morning Circus in Rochester, New York, just so you know who you're talking to. Okay. And Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, yeah, it went from there. And then I got, uh, you know, my own show in Chicago, yeah. and then on Hot 97 New York, everybody... I got my morning show there, and then um, I think it was 94 was the first time when I moved back out here the, when I started in talk radio. And I was, first of all, I like the first segment of a talk radio show is like 12 minutes. I was used to music radio, so I would be like, blah, 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 blah. Is there a song? Do I keep talking? Oh, me again? I keep talking. Okay, talk, 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 talk. So I'm like, by myself, I have to fill like 12 minutes, and so... That's but that's when I started getting political, and it was like the OJ trial was going on out here, and so there was also kind of a lot of comedy in that, you know, darkly. But um, um, remember all the witnesses in that show? Remember Blanco Bronco, uh, Blanco Bronco. Yes, that's all I saw. Blanco Bronco. Um, oh, that that was a great cast of characters to report on. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but anyway, that's when I uh, yeah I started doing talk radio was out here, and then I got my own late night TV show. Uh, with from Disney opposite Leno and Letterman, what could possibly go wrong? That lasted for <laughs> thirteen weeks. And, uh, well, so y- uh, I 
Well, yeah. so you obviously weren't afraid to make your political views heard on your own t- on your own uh, radio show. How common was it for radio hosts to talk about politics, and did you ever find that uncomfortable? Well, I mean, I was the only liberal, really, even back then in talk radio in Los Angeles. But back then, again, it was more sort of everything was the OJ trial. So it wasn't that wasn't necessarily really political. It was, uh, you know, and again, we sort of focus more on the comedic elements of the trial, the circus surrounding the trial, you know. Um, And then I'm trying to think, then when I went to ABC, I I got my own uh, syndicated radio show in the late 90s on ABC Radio Network. And that was much more political. But again, I was the only liberal on ABC where, you know, Dennis mm. Prager and Larry Elder and everybody, that's who I worked with. And I still had the highest ratings on there, but I was the only liberal, but I couldn't, the syndication didn't work because I could only get like 12, 14 stations because they're, and you know, they would say she has the best ratings on the station and they're like, we don't care. She's liberal. We can't take that here. Wow. And so, you know, that's been the, you know, I've had to, you know, Victor, you kids these days with the podcasts and the whatever, it's, uh, we've had to, but that's what we've got to do is like, you know, you diversify into Sirius XM podcasts, you know, apps, Progressive Voices app, Sirius XM free speech TV. Like you have to have a lot of platforms as a progressive to stay viable. You know, we don't have conservatives. Quite honestly, you can be a really crappy host and get like 500 stations because they're all right wing stations and they need to fill time. Wow. I mean, if I could tell you how many times a radio person told me you would be a multi multi-millionaire if you just tomorrow said I'm going back to my Republican roots. Really? And I'm a right winger now. They said you could you'd be on five hundred stations tomorrow if you you know wow. disavowed your liberalism and said, you know, oh yeah, I've decided I'm, you know, a Republican now. So is it is it better now with Sirius and uh, you started your own the Stephanie Miller show uh, managed by Democracy Radio and um, WYD Media Management. Yeah. Um, who, who was your audience and what were your goals when you launched that show? That was well, it's the that same, was about same show I'm doing 20 now. Twenty years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. the same show I'm doing now. Oh, yeah, this show has been going for this particular version like 16 years. Um, yeah. And it, it, we started with Air America at the same time as all those shows. And frankly, the people that were good broadcasters have survived, you know, like me and Tom Hartman and Randy Rhodes and, you know, people that, you know, other people that are on Serious Progress or on Free Speech TV. But, um, you know, that was the same thing. We just we couldn't get enough stations to stay viable. So I will say I'm not making millions like right wingers, but thanks to the loyalty of my audience and, you know, their their. uh supporting our advertisers i'm able to you know knock on wood stay viable wow and and are you one of the only women in this area or are there other women in the liberal talk radio yeah oh yeah randy rhodes is one of the best um she is also on free speech tv and uh um you know certainly amy goodman's on free speech tv we've got um Zerlina Maxwell, as you know, was on is uh, yeah, was right. on, and Jess McIntosh was on Sirius XM as well. It still is. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, I used to be the only one. I mean, I, I used to be literally like the only woman in Morning Drive in major markets, almost that was the main host of a show. You know, so you know, Jill, you know what that's like. You were the yeah. Watergate girl. You were the girl. <laughs> 
So compare your radio show to like if you did a podcast instead, or is our well, podcast competition for radio now? What's no, what's the business model? Well, it's kind of all the same. I have a podcast too, in that that's just another form that the content comes in. Like we, as you know, Joe, we call it Stephanie Miller's Happy Hour, and it's you know that's usually just right. a, you know now it's just our best interviews of the week. But a lot of that was just a separate you know interview thing that was podcast. I have the sexy liberal podcast network with all of the, you know, a lot of our regulars that have shows on my, uh, on my podcast network. So I think podcasting is just a, I also sell the Steph cast, which is a commercial free version of my oh. radio show. So that also helps keeps me viable is that, oh. and it's called a podcast show, but it's actually my radio show. It's just my commercial free uh, version of my brand. It's only four ninety five a month if you buy a year in advance. Everybody, it's still we still have never raised wow. the price. It's a bargain. Um, that is a very good bargain. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so um, no, so I wouldn't say podcasts are competition. It's just you know I'm on a, like I said a bunch of different platforms. You know, SiriusXM. I'm on terrestrial stations, as you know, Jill WCPT in Chicago. Right. Other stations and right. you know around the country that we're on. So we're on. Terrestrial Station, Sirius XM, the Progressive Voices app, the iHeart app on stephaniemiller.com, Free Speech TV. You know what I mean? We have to we have to kind of cobble stuff together on, on our end, you know. Excellent. And we're going to post all of those on our show notes so that our listeners can tune into you on a regular basis. That would be fantastic. They will learn a lot and laugh a lot at the same time. Does anyone and... want to come and get some dead rats <laughs> at my house right now and rebate so, some traps? I just want to know if you think that the Republicans, uh, as they exist now, and I hate calling them Republicans because yeah. whoever they are, the Trumpers, right. do you think that they actually maybe sent rats to your house yes. or do you think it's I, just i believe in every conspiracy theory out there jill i heard it at my q meeting <laughs> yes i have a, a child sex ring on my pizza basement with my pizza rat i don't jill what has happened there's people waiting in dealey plaza for jfk jr to come back what is has this many oh, people God. always been crazy were people this crazy in the Watergate era, but we just didn't know about it because of no social media? I don't think so. I, I, I don't know if we just didn't know, but I don't think so because we basically had one set of facts back then. We didn't debate facts. We debated policy implications. Yeah. And I think that's, that's sort of uh, – I think Victor wanted to pursue that a little bit about how, how – siloed we are yeah sure so um, radio is i think like all media outlets now in the sense that people select what they want to hear what they already believe and listen to just that point of view so you have people who listen to you and receive what i consider facts and those who listen to conservative talk radio and receive a completely different set of information which they call facts but aren't supported by evidence Was, was that always the case and if not when did this actually become apparent yeah, I mean, that's what I talk about a lot on my show is that, you know, I just don't feel, Jill, like we're being helped at all by mainstream media. Yes. It's just they're so invested in this both sides do it and, oh, well, you know, the Democrats do it too. I'm like, really? Name one Democrat that's made a death threat or joke about somebody on one of their mm-hmm. colleagues. You know, I mean, it, it really is not. And I think Jill's absolutely right. There used to be one set of facts. We argued about our points of view about that. I mean, how do we continue to have a dialogue with people that believe the election was stolen based on nothing. How do we 
talk to people that buy $110 bags of magic dirt to roll in or horse paste <laughs> to eat instead of taking the vaccine. You know, we didn't, we, we didn't eradicate smallpox and polio through herd immunity. We eradicated it with, with vaccines. I mean, we could have done that with this, but again, if we had Fox News, Jill, not only yeah. would you know Nixon have gotten off, but also you know we would polio would still be here. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's. I, I mean it's yeah. it's true. It's depressing to t- to tell someone your age that, Victor, but it really is a depressing time for that. That that you know, and I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it's not just oh we have these facts and they have those. Theirs are complete nonsense. Yeah. They're lies. Yeah. It's not being partisan to say horse pace doesn't. <laughs> COVID and to say, you know, this election was not fraudulent. Joe Biden is the legitimate president. I mean, there's just, I don't know. That's what I mean. I don't know how we get, you know, they just did a poll of younger people, Victor, saying that, that, you know, and I guess they're saying Democrats in that poll, younger Democrats were more partisan, meaning they wouldn't be friends with or date somebody. But again, Jill, it's, I guess it's partisan again to say that, but it's because of that that you go, I can't, I don't know how to make common cause with people that march with Nazi symbols and and believe that JFK Jr. is coming back and that COVID is a hoax. And and you mentioned Rush Limbaugh, uh, who sort of was the architect of right-wing media and uh, a prominent voice. Is, Is there anyone, now that he's, He's left his legacy. He's passed on. But uh, how harmful was he? And how? Who do you think is taking his place? Who's who's equally dangerous now? Well, I mean Hannity, obviously, and he also does radio. Laura Ingram. I mean, you know, I blame myself for Laura Ingram. By the way, when I used to host Equal Time with Baby Cannon on CNBC, Laura would sometimes fill in for her, and she was awful on television. We used to. She used to stumble and we would have to like start over even though it was supposed to be live to tape. And I was incredibly nice and supportive to her. <laughs> I, I'm like, I blame myself for this. <laughs> oh, God. But, it, you know, it's, it's, I, I just think what they do, Jill, is, again, is it not, I guess it's, is it not legally actionable? What Fox News does is just lies and misinformation that is killing people. Well, some of it is, obviously. Um, yeah. There are lawsuits pending that have gotten, it's not just Fox, but OAN and uh, others who are being sued by the Dominion and Smartmatics. And um, I think there's an individual lawsuit now, too. So maybe they'll, I, I think they've changed some of what they've said about the election as a result of it. And maybe they'll be forced to change what they say about the vaccine. Um, yeah. Hopefully so, because many people believe it. But I honestly don't know, Victor, how we get back to a common set of facts. I don't know. I think we're all in our bubble. I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm guilty of it because of my, my blood pressure. I only watch MSNBC. I sometimes watch CNN, but like I can't watch Fox for any period of time. I, I can't physically <laughs> handle it. And I, But that's what they say. We're in our information bubbles and we have yeah. two different realities. And how do we I talk mean, to each other? It's a completely different universe. Do you ever, I guess, on your show, do you ever try to reach the other side or do you think it's pointless and that everyone's basically cemented in their silos of information? Well, I, I have right-wing callers, but I just play with them like cat toys <laughs> and then I hang up on them. I play with them for my entertainment pleasure. And then I hit the dump Okay, button. so I have... I have one last question for okay. you, which is, uh, as you mentioned, you came out as gay, 
uh, you announced that um, you said, I realize that I can't authentically talk to my listeners about these issues anymore without walking in my truth. I just can't stand on the sidelines in an unbiased observer. So I, I want to talk to you about how you came to terms with coming out and what advice you would have for others who are struggling with sexual identity or who know their identity but have, for one reason or another, remained silent about it. Well, you know, it's interesting. My friend uh, Elvira you know, Cassandra Peterson just came out and she's been with her partner, Terry, for 20 something years now. And she was married to a man and has a daughter. And I don't even know how she classifies herself. I don't know the necessarily gay, but we've had, we had long conversations about how ironically we were of a, in an era when like, whether it was my radio show or my late night show, it was marketed to men. My ads said, you know, making men rise in the morning. You know, Disney's mm. geared my late night show to men, you know, and, and so then we had a legitimate fear of professionally, obviously. Um, I remember a Disney executive calling me in a panic saying, did you just come out on the radio? And I was like, what? No, we were, I was just talking about Don't Ask, Don't Tell and, you know, how I, I think it's wrong and blah, 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 blah. You know, but they were panicked. They were spending $10 million and, and you know, so wow. I think I... You know, my friends and family, everybody knew years before, and I never lied. I never said I had a boyfriend or I just, I just didn't talk about my personal life. But then I think you're right, Jill. I hit a point where, you know, there were too many, you know, issues in the news like that, that I thought, I can't just say I'm for this anymore. I, I, I have to say I am this because it makes a difference. You know, in polling, it, they've showed that it makes a difference. And that's how we got marriage equality, that it was your favorite you know, Watergate lawyer, your favorite radio host, basketball star, football player. It's, you know, your sister, your lawyer, your brother. It's that someone you know that was the biggest predicator of people being open to gay rights is that they didn't realize they knew somebody and loved somebody that's gay, you know. So, so anyway, yeah. I think that, that is so important. But we have no uh, budget in radio. So I remember a friend was like, are you sure? Shouldn't you have like your people? Shouldn't you talk to your people? I'm like, I don't have people. I'm just going to say it. So <laughs> I just went on the radio one morning and said, guess what? I'm gay. <laughs> well, and it was powerful and impactful. And of course, I, I, I have to ask you because since I've known you, I've tried to fix you up with no success. And Wait a uh, I don't remember any, any dates. <laughs> I, well, well that's me. why you, 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 you told me, you gave me some parameters that I couldn't meet. Well, I, you so, said, what are you looking for? I said, you, but gay. <laughs> Just get me one of you, but gay. Beautiful, well, smart. We <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't get there, but is there any news on that front? Is there anybody in your life that you'd like to share with us? Uh, well, I, um, I've been uh, two years in the lockdown, in COVID lockdown, and I currently live with a bunch of rats, a bunch of rats. <laughs> So, no, I'm well, afraid there's no news on that. I love that. Uh, I was okay, going to say so, the morning I came out was funny that, you know, in radio you're on for three hours and it's sometimes not the same audience in hour three as hour one. And my producer said, I think we should reset the topic. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm still gay. <laughs> it's six minutes after the hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping someone listening who is in love with you already will contact you oh. and you'll find the woman of your dreams. I, well, uh, I'm not asking too much. Just someone wildly beautiful and smart and funny and warm and kind like Joe Weinbanks. Come on. <laughs> I know there's someone out there waiting for you. you got to get that I'm, I'm hoping. I want you to be 
Yeah, right, I'm, exactly. I'm about to die alone and be eaten by my dogs and a bunch of rats. So let's go, ladies. Hurry no, up. No, but you do have you do have loving, wonderful, wonderful dogs. They uh, are adorable. Thank you. You they too. Terrific, you so. too. I know. Mine is mine's terrific. And I posted a picture I, I was, of, of when you you were wearing a matching outfit that matched your dog. <laughs> Yes, hugging him. So cute. I do have a lot of I do have a lot of Dalmatian paraphernalia and things around the room. Except you can't the, imagine. Except you're the anti Cruella. Yes, I am for sure. Although I did at one point own a Cruella coat. Ooh. It was a Christmas gift to me, uh-huh. and I was working at Motorola at the time, and the daycare center was in the building I worked in, and when I would walk in wearing my Dalmatian coat. The kids oh, no. went berserk. Oh, oh they loved it. And if I, you know, the outside was just like Dalmatian skin kind of stuff, but the inside was 101 oh, Dalmatian pictures. Oh my God. And I would oh, my God. flash them the inside of my coat and it was, it was, oh my God. Victor, it made my day. Let's do this. I, we can do this on social media. She's the anti Cruella DeVille. We'll do it for like dog rescue and it'll be Jill in that coat going, <laughs> save those puppies. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You'll have to do the voice of Cruella for sure. <laughs> well, you guys, thank well, you so much for this. This, this was, was most fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. We've had a ball. I know our listeners will too. And I hope that they will tune in on a regular basis to the Stephanie Miller Show. It is a joy every day. Oh, so, thank you, honey. Guys, so are you. Listen. And Victor, look at you, you little stem cell. You're just a little <laughs> tiny baby stem cell. <laughs> He's going to have to meet you because he's now, you know, he's not that far from you anymore. So, um, well, before I go, maybe, let me just say fight on, for all the sea, <laughs> our man fight on, for victory, for all the sea, fight on. <laughs> and what oh, about gosh. you, Victor? Are you going to have a retort? I, I don't know my school song, so I guess we'll have to leave it at that. <laughs> oh, no. Which is quite well, embarrassing. Well, I, I, I win by default. Exactly. Then, so. I will give it to you. You can't right, win in football, but you can Put that on your this. agenda, Victor. You you have to learn it for sure. And I am afraid to sing in public, so I won't sing the Fighting Illini song. But thank you so much, Stephanie Miller. It's been a joy. And I look forward to talking to you more. Of course, as always. Love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of iGen Politics with Stephanie Miller. We hope you'll tune in again next Wednesday for another episode of iGen Politics. Follow us wherever you follow your podcasts and subscribe on YouTube. And hopefully you'll leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which keeps this show running. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.